This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. On the heels of International Women's Day, I have two guests who are in the embodiment of celebrating women and their stories. In fact, we are discussing their book entitled Hollywood, Her Story, An Illustrated History of Women and the Movies. Our authors celebrated here today on Center Stage are Colorado-based Jill Teachin and Barbara Bridges. Now, my listeners know my love of the movies and the power of the visual and textual image. But today, I invite you all to listen to some of the untold stories of brilliance that women have brought to filmmaking lore. I am speaking of not only actresses, but screenwriters, stunt women, producers, and directors. And with our talented writers to walk us through the history they describe in this beautifully presented book, we will be introduced to hundreds of women who have sometimes been forgotten in an often male-dominated film world. Author Jill Teachin is an electrical engineer by trade. In fact, she is a powerhouse in technology. She has spent more than 40 years in the electric utility industry and served as the national president of the Society of Women Engineers. She is an advocate and champion for women in her role as philanthropist, mentor, and awards nominator. She has co-authored the book, Her Story, a timeline of the women who changed America. Jill is one of the top historians of women in all fields of endeavor at a national, state, and local level for awards achievements. In 2019, she herself was inducted into the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame. And Barbara Bridges is an entrepreneur and businesswoman who, in 2006, started the Women Plus Film in partnership with the Denver Film Festival, enabling the recognition of women in all areas of filmmaking. She has been claimed as one of Colorado's top thinkers in arts cultures by the Denver Post. So I would like to welcome Jill Teachin and Barbara Bridges. Welcome to Center Stage. I think oh, thank you. I think one of the most exciting aspects of this book and your collaboration is that this all started over a cup of coffee. Um, Jill Teachin, can you take us through your world and how this book got its start? Well, Barbara and I don't exactly remember when we met each other. It seems like we've known each other forever. And we would have breakfast occasionally. And in 2016, actually, we were having breakfast, and I mentioned to Barbara that the first Her Story book was blossoming and that I was thinking about doing additional books in the Her Story series and that I was thinking about writing about women in African countries. And Barbara said, you know, you really should do one on women in the movies. We should do that together. I looked at her. I said, okay. And off we went. And off you went. And Jill, how much knowledge did you have in in the film world at that time? I go to movies. (laughs) (laughs) As we all do. Yeah. But you had Barbara. Yeah, but... But we, I mean, what we like to say is we spent years, actually, in this study room at our local library. Thank goodness they have these little study rooms. Once a week for almost now four years, we've seen each other across the table in the study room. And we learned tremendous amounts as we were doing the research for the book. 
That's tremendous. That's tremendous. And we have to congratulate you, Jill Teachin, for writing her story, A Timeline of the Women Who Changed America. I mean, you're listing hundreds of women, literally, that some of us know, some of us don't. And it's a wonderful thing to be able to be reminded of who literally can, you know, build bridges, so to speak. Yes, and what Barbara heard Gloria Steinem say this statement, which I think is so perfect, and it's that the past and history are not the same. And what Mm. I like to say now, because people accuse me, and that is the word I'm going to use, of revising history. Mm. We're not revising history. We're restoring the narrative. Women are generally left out of history and all we're doing is telling their story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I love that you say the path, because so many people have forged these paths, and none of them recognize, none of us recognize that. It's so important to be reminded. Yes, it is. And 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 what we found when doing this book, all of these accomplished women who need to be written into history and need to be celebrated. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Barbara or I had any idea when we started that this is where we would be. Wow. Very exciting. So, Barbara Bridges, let's bring you in here. I am amazed reading this book that as early as the 1890s that women were involved in filmmaking. Now, this is a fact that I wasn't aware of at all. Um, Can you elaborate a little bit? Can you kind of lead us into who were the first women filmmakers? And how did you find out about this? Oh, yes. Um, we love to talk about the early filmmakers because we, we tell the story in our book that women were the early filmmakers. They owned studios. They developed many of the filmmaking techniques that we use today. And the very first one who um, you're talking about in, the, in 1896 is Alice Guy Blachet. Now, she was a French woman, and she started making films there, but then she moved to the U.S. And she put her studio in Fort Lee, New Jersey, which was the center of filmmaking at that time. Really? Before Hollywood. Wow. So she was a movie director. Her very first film was called The Fairy of the Cabbages. And it's only a minute long, but we love watching it because it shows um, the fairy going into the cabbage patch. And she picks up a baby from under a cabbage leaf and puts it down and finds another baby. So she's telling us, I guess, that's where babies come from is the cabbage patch. Oh, I love it. I love it. So she made a thousand movies. And, you know, the first one's only a minute long like that. Um, and, And she played with many of the filmmaking techniques, too. But she wasn't just a director. I mean, she... The women back then, we love to talk about the women at the beginning of filmmaking. They did what we call multitasking. So (laughs) she played with the techniques she did. She was a cinematographer, director. She was so many things. And we love her quote. And that's why we love starting the book with her, too. And she said, there is nothing connected with the staging of a motion picture that a woman cannot do as easily as a man. And there is no reason why she cannot completely master every technicality of the art. Well said. Well Mm -hmm. said. My gosh, did you always know of her existence, Barbara, or or was this something you discovered? No, I didn't always know about her, and I think that's true for most of us. 
I happened to um, find a woman who was directing a movie called Be Natural, and I became a co-executive producer on that movie, and it was the story of Alice Guy Blachet. And it was called Be Natural because in her studio, she had a huge sign that said that. And the reason it said that is because all the actors were coming from the stage, and they were overacting for the camera. So that Uh was her message to them to just be natural for the camera. And I understand that Alice Guy Blachet was actually like a mastermind on set. I mean, she was she was rather military in getting things done. Well, she probably needed to be to do that to get yeah. everything in order to, like, and to really make compensate. Everything happen. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And in in those early years, reading in your book, I, I I was fascinated with the fact that actresses were not identified by name, but they were referred to as the Vitagraph Girl or the Biograph Girl that referred to the production companies they were affiliated with. Now, isn't that something that because we we just know stars so much now, exactly, and, and we can't even imagine that that it wouldn't be that way. But so we say in our book, the first movie star and the first film actress, then whose name is divulged to the public, was Florence Lawrence, in debuting in 1907, and so she she's then considered the first movie star because we knew her name, and she made almost 300 films in her 30-year career. 300 films. And that was, I mean, we're talking about the turn of the century at this point. We're just getting into silent films, right? Yes. Oh, how incredible. Oh, my gosh. Um, So how, what was your criteria, actually, for choosing the women you included in your book? This must have been very difficult, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there were many and maybe many that, that you haven't discovered, but um, you can only put in so many names, and your book is huge, and, and like I say, it's beautifully presented. What was your criteria? We, we, we would... Um, yeah, go, go ahead, Well, um, we, we looked at books and books and books, and mm-hmm. that's where we started. And first we had to find them. I mean, remember, I didn't really know these women at all. Barbara knew them more than I did. And so the first thing was finding them. Mm -hmm. And then we did the research on them to see what movies they were in and what kind, how many hats they wore. As we've already discussed, in the early years, women were doing everything. I mean, they had three hats, four hats, five hats during the course of movie production. Mm -hmm. And then... One of the things we found, which I certainly had no idea, is there were two huge movies in the silent film era in 1915 and 1916. We kept researching these women, and it would say in their listing of the films that they were featured in that they were in The Birth of a Nation, and Uh usually they were also in Intolerance. Uh-huh. And I, I was not familiar with intolerance at all. I think maybe I'd heard of The Birth of a Nation. Certainly wasn't familiar, hadn't seen those movies. And so what we did was as we gathered these women, as we found what they had done, we were learning that women pretty much were at the forefront of the filmmaking industry in the silent film era. And then... When we found directors and producers in the 30s and 40s, when they were mostly pushed out Mm -hmm. of those fields because hockeys came in, 
Mm-hmm. Yep. And then movies started making money. And when movies started making money, the men took over and pushed many of these early women out, not all of them, mm-hmm. and not in all fields of endeavor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, so it was very important for us to have in our minds what was happening during that time in history to understand the very significance of some of these individuals being able to actually persevere and continue to have a role mm-hmm. during right. certain decades of the film industry. Right, right. And as I understand, many of this, these women became script writers. Um, and most of the memorable films that we think about in the 30s were written by women, which is kind of interesting. Um, and we hear about some, we don't hear about others. I'm, I'm actually more interested about these early women doing their own stunts. I mean, you know, when you talk about the multitasking, the, the extent that which they had to go to is rather extraordinary. Um, but yet, you know, it's so marvelous you're, you're bringing it to our attention, these women who, who have often been forgotten. Um, Jill, can I, can I just ask, here you are... Uh, in, in technology, yeah? And yes. do, you, do you look at the technical side of making movies in a different way that most of us would? I mean, do you have kind of a natural interest for that? Well, what I am interested in ensuring is that women who have contributed in technical ways to the movie industry are also recognized in addition to the actors and the directors and the producers and the screenwriters and the editors and the animators and all of that. And one of the stories that Barbara's familiar with that I really like to tell is that my friend, Christina Johnson, is here in the book. I believe she's profiled in 2009. My friend, Christina Johnson, invented Real D 3D, which was used for the first time in the filming of Avatar and is now used for almost all three-dimensional movies. Right. Mm-hmm. And she's an electrical engineer. She's now been inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame in conjunction with her co-inventor, whose name is Gary Sharp. And I, I look at, well, I look at movies so differently now because I now understand all of the roles that are required mm-hmm. and everything that goes into it, mm-hmm. but not, not to the level that Barbara's knowledge is or that Barbara's expertise. I understand. This is really interesting, actually. Uh, it makes me think, Jill, about the wonderful Thelma Schoonemaker, the film editor to Martin Scorsese, for over 50 years. Martin Scorsese chose a woman. You know, I've heard him in an interview um, where he spoke about her genius and light touch with editing, and apparently this was an area that was dominated by women at one point. In fact, he likened it to finite sewing skills and felt that women had the natural talents required. Um, Barbara, would you would you agree with that in, in all the research that you've done? We really enjoy looking at the female editors and mm-hmm. then the men whose names most of us know and how they were the people behind the scenes in that editing room working with these famous male directors and bringing us these stories that we love. Mm. And certainly Selma Schoonmaker is, is one of those people I mean, working with Martin Scorsese for maybe more than 40 years, maybe 50 years mm-hmm. right now. That's right. Um, so she she was able to get Oscars, though. I mean, certainly 
honored. Um, That's correct. For she, her editing work. She, she broke so, through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she won for Raging Bull and for The Aviator and The Departed and was nominated for others in this year for The Irishman, too. But there were other women like that, like for um, Woody Allen, Susan E. Morse worked for him for over 20 years. Oh. And uh, Susan Menke um, worked for Quentin Tarantino for until she passed away. She did all of his films. So really? it really is something for with female editors really sticking with these um, male directors. And, of course, I have to bring up music because I'm so excited this year for The Joker that the wonderful Icelandic woman, Hildur Guanadotur, won for Best Scoring. And I think it's, it's bears mention that um, a f- film scoring wasn't won by a woman since 1997 when Anne Dudley won for The Full Monty. Um, these things are like new to me, and and I think it's good for us to be reminded of how what great gaps there are, you know, when uh, usually it's going to uh, nod to the men. Um, as a professional musician, I'm all too aware how long it it's taken women to be able to stand out as composers and conductors, and now. Professional opera companies and orchestras are taking steps to provide training and debut platforms for women. Uh, Jill Teachin and Barbara Bridges, are film companies doing the same thing now for women in film? Well, this is Jill, and I don't know the answer, but one of the things I wanted to say, on our website, HollywoodHerStory.com, we have listings of all of the women who have been nominated and won Oscars, both by category and by year mm-hmm. so that you can see exactly what you're talking about mm-hmm. for example for scoring and for original song and you can see over if you go by the years you can see how in the early years there were very few women and they've gotten to be more women over time and then you can actually also look by category and there are a few categories where there are pretty much what we could Term, abysmal record in wow. terms yes. of go ahead Bob. yes and and the best original score i mean it's a perfect example right and fortunately a woman was nominated this year but in the 92 years of oscar history only 12 women have received nominations so it, it is really a place where women do struggle and then when you look in best um original song they mm-hmm. do win more oscars but there's diane warren was um, nominated this year with, for her 11th nomination in Best mm-hmm. Original Song. And so right. she still hasn't won. We still are watching for her. The same for Randy Newman and he'll, till he broke that record a couple of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go back to your book. Um, you, you lay everything out in eras, and I love this. And I... I was really interested in the 1930s as the turning point. You you mentioned this before earlier in the interview, but it was the Depression, the talkies, and Technicolor. Do you think that women had a hard time being recognized during this transition, or was it kind of an easy transition? You know, they they suddenly had a voice, or maybe, uh, you know, like we saw in Singing in the Rain, maybe the voice wasn't so great, and maybe it was easier for men. What, what What are your thoughts, Jill, Barbara? What do you think? Well, we we do talk about in that overarching story of the book how women could just do anything at the beginning of the movies. Then the talkies came along, and women, well, the studio system started, and men took over. And it really was a sign of the times, the way things worked at that time in particular. 
that that men would take over the studios. And so it was really hard for women in many, many of the categories. Mm -hmm. Then Mm -hmm. there are other categories that it was acceptable for women to be a part of, like Mm -hmm. costume design. I mean, that's very much a, a women's place or hair and makeup, and it was, it was okay for women to flourish in, in those categories, or even screenwriting. So it was, it, and then the actresses, you know, there's always women in front of the camera, and so they were able to be, oh, that, that golden era comes in in the 1940s, you know, where the glamour comes in and, and mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but in many, in many um, categories, like directing, it was very hard for women we have one director, Dorothy Arzner. She was the one woman during the 1930s who could make significant films during that time. And, and also, we know that the, um, there were unions that were formed and women weren't allowed in unions. So Is that she right? Was the first, she was the first woman to join the Directors Guild of America. So she's very significant during that time. Yes, but yes, it's true about the unions. That's why it was such a struggle for women at that time also. I, I did not know that. And, you know, I was so interested in your book when you mentioned this wonderful filmmaker, director, and writer, Maya Darren, in 1947, to receive, she was the first woman filmmaker to receive a Guggenheim Fellowship for her creative work in motion pictures. You know, I, I love this. And she, you have a quote of her saying, I make pictures for what Hollywood spends on lipstick. Mm-hmm. And now we know that there are women out there making these short films and the documentaries, and they're finally being honored, and they're all working on a small budget. Um, you know, do, do, the, do the studio systems help them along the way? Um, well, I think money money has always, money continues to be a problem, has been a problem, particularly for the women. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, Patty Jenkins said, people always want to know what it's like to take on such a huge budget when she had a, a movie for $149 million. Mm-hmm. I still have 20% too little money and 20% too little time to do what I'm trying to do. <laughs> and one of... One of the reasons why women are making documentaries is because those are less expensive than feature films. Mm-hmm. And if they have trouble raising the money to do the feature films that they want to raise, it's a little bit easier. Not that it's easy. I just met a woman on Friday night who said that many women are still having really tremendous difficulty raising money for documentary films, but at least it's less money. And they still can retain power over the creative process, I would think. I mean, more readily than going through the studio. Um, you know, you, you have a quote also in your book that said the great director D.W. Griffith felt that if a, a woman didn't like a movie, it would be a failure. And if they liked it, it would become a success. Do you think this has remained true over the years? What do you well, think, we Barbara? That the majority of people that go to movies are women. So um, I think that that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. We, um, we know that, that that's the case. So if, if people are making movies by and about women, it's just not um, failures at the box office. Mm-hmm. It's actually successful. And speaking of Patty Jenkins again, who did Wonder Woman, she said um, that on, on women and directors and money, Um, Mm -hmm. Women's movies have been more financially sound and bigger money makers across the board. 
that's the conundrum in this business. Are Isn't you guys about money or are you not? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that interesting? So, uh, Jill and and Barbara, who are standing out in your minds right now as the movers and shakers of women in film? I mean, you know, we're honoring Greta Gerwig as much as we can just recently. But who do you think are the powerhouse movers and shakers that are going to propel us here? Barbara, that's that's really your your question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ava DuVernay is, yeah, is doing well. Ava DuVernay, too. I was looking her up while we were talking, trying to find it. You know, Ava DuVernay um, is is an African-American woman who had one of the biggest budgets. Isn't that right, Jill? Hmm. I believe so. Very interesting. And how um, many? do you know how many films she's made? I do not. Very interesting. We'll we'll be watching for her. One thing I do know, uh, I'm determined to get back to that coffee, you know, in Colorado. (laughs) It it must be loaded with inspiring elements. I think we should all be heading out there to have a cup of coffee with you guys and see what comes out of it. Um, What's the future for you both as collaborators? Do Do you have any future projects together? We're still actually working on this one very hard. Mm hmm. Um, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful book that has a lot of possibilities in terms of uh, spinoff projects, and we're pursuing some of those. Well, that's very exciting. Is is Hollywood beckoning to you both? <laughs> we, we just are writing this book about Hollywood, and uh, I, I get involved with different documentaries here and there that mm-hmm. I think really tell powerful stories, like the one that I mentioned to you earlier about mm-hmm. Alice Guy Boucher. So those are the kinds of things that I do, and Jill is writing more books, and get, I'm getting ready for a Women's Film Festival in April in society, and uh, this will be our 10th year to do that although we've been showing films by and about women for almost 15 years now with that focus, just really celebrating the work of women behind the camera and the stories that are on the screen because we are all, all of us women and the men, too, love to see the stories about us on the screen. It's very exciting. I'm so glad Denver has both of you girls. You know, they really benefit from your roles in in the arts there. And I'm sure you are doing your very best to get the word out about movies and the women behind them. I want to thank you both, Jill Teachin and Barbara Bridges, for being my guests on Center Stage. Their book is Hollywood, Her Story, An Illustrated History of Women and the Movies, and this is so worth finding. Thank you, girls, for being with me on Center Stage. I hope to meet you soon. This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is now down on Center Stage. Center Stage.